Election day is coming up. How will you know who to vote for? iVoterGuide is one of the best voter guides in the country, hands down. It's the most detailed voter guide for the public. And what are the needs of churches in Israel and the Middle East? Right now, a lot of what they are asking us to do is to pray. Um, with all that is going on, prayer is just such an important point. Also, restoring parental involvement in education. The government schools have been taken over by the federal government for their agenda. Then, a children's home in Mexico becomes a source for missions. And we have planted more than 60 churches in the country of Mexico through the children's home. It's the weekend of November 4th and 5th. I'm Jeff Shambly, and this is The Stand Radio. Election Day is coming up this Tuesday, November the 7th. And sadly, many of us will go through the same routine. We go into the voting booth, we look at the ballot, there are candidates that we don't know a lot about, so we leave them blank. And that's called an undervote. Nearly 50% of all ballots in every election are undervotes. Well, there's a better way to vote, and it's called the iVoter Guide. And here to tell us about that is Walker Wildman. He's vice president of operations here at American Family Association and host of the program At The Core. Walker, welcome. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on the program. What is the iVoter Guide, and how can that help us this Tuesday? Yeah, iVoter Guide is an excellent resource for voters. They've been around for over a decade. And uh, what we do at iVoter Guide is we research thousands of candidates each election cycle. And we don't just public generic information that's mostly publicly available, like uh, which party they're a member of or um, how long they've been in office. We actually go deeper than that, and we look at their voting record, we look at who gives them donations, Mm. and we look at a variety of different issues uh, that brings us the candidate evaluation. So iVoterGuide is is one of the best voter guides in the country, hands down. It's the most detailed voter guide for the public. And it covers all 50 states? Yes, we cover all 50 state federal races, so U.S. Senate, Congress, um, and then we cover... Uh, 36 plus uh, statewide races, so governor, attorney general, so on and so forth. So yeah, it's a very broad voter guide with widespread implications. Okay, on page 17 of this month's uh, The Stand magazine, there is a page devoted to iVoter Guide. Uh, It identifies five states where there are some key elections. Would you just kind of give us the highlights of those? Yeah, so 2023 is what we call an off cycle. So it's a non-presidential cycle. Um, But there are races. There are elections, of course, coming up Tuesday. Um, And here are the are the statewide um, or state legislative races that we're covering. Uh, So in Kentucky, Mississippi, Virginia, New Jersey and Louisiana, those Mm -hmm. are the five states that we are covering statewide or state legislative races. Um, We're covering, for example, governor, attorney general, lieutenant governor, etc., in those five states, uh, Kentucky, Mississippi, Virginia, New Jersey, and Louisiana. Okay. Uh, Any other races, any other issues or election initiatives that are going on that you cover as well? Yeah, there's a very important ballot initiative in Ohio. Okay. um, And we're we're beginning to cover ballot initiatives now, or constitutional amendments as some call them. Um, So Ohio has a pro-abortion ballot initiative that has widespread implications on the issue of abortion in the state of Ohio. So we're covering that. That will be available for those who enter their address from the state of Ohio. Um, So that's on the ballot on November 7th. 
Um, so, and there's there's ballot initiatives in various states. And when I say ballot initiatives, what that is is where uh, each state has a process to bring about a constitutional amendment okay. or a ballot amendment uh, for the for the public to vote for. So this isn't your elected representative voting for you in the state house. Mm -hmm. This is you actually voting for a constitutional amendment. Um, those are going on all around the country this this cycle, and we actually are evaluating those amendments. Yeah, that's good. So people can research and know what those amendments mean. Because many times those amendments are worded in such a way that you have to be an attorney to understand exactly what you're voting for. Yes, and it's it's a very <laughs> it's a major problem uh, okay. that we're seeing now, where these ballot amendments are being uh, a lot of money from liberals are being poured into these mm -hmm. ballot amendments, and it's confusing voters. And then there's this this nuanced process that you alluded to where the final language that actually goes on the ballot is is decided and it's very convoluted and yeah, confusing yeah. depending on who writes the language. Uh, so what we're doing is we're going into this, we're researching it all, and we're actually giving you on these ballot initiatives what the conservative position is okay. and what the liberal position is, either a yes or a no. So we're making it very, very simple. We're bringing it down to layman terms. Uh, for these ballot initiatives too. All right, so someone goes to ivoterguide.com, puts their address in, yeah. it pulls up the ballot, uh, and they look at something that says liberal, leans conservative, verified conservative. What do those categories mean? So what we've done is we've, uh, the first thing we do is we, we go down and we have over 30 questions for candidates. So okay. we, we, we send each candidate that declares for each office that we're researching, we send them a 30-plus question survey or questionnaire, depending on what you want to call it. And that goes through all the hot issues of our day, Second Amendment, okay. pro-life, uh, taxes, national security, border security. We go through all these 30-plus questions, and we try to get to the root of what their worldview is, what their ideology is, mm -hmm. and where they're most likely to vote. So when we end up evaluating a candidate at either verified conservative or verified liberal or somewhere in between, that basically tells you that's our opinion, I voter guy's opinion, of where we think they'll vote should okay. they get elected to public office. So someone who falls on the verified conservative evaluation um, we can give you over 90% certainty that they're going to vote conservative the vast majority of time that they're in office. Yeah, you've made this very easy, Walker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have. And that's why we have what, what Debbie Wuthnow, our president of I Voter Guide, calls the gas gauge. Yeah. And that is the evaluation. Okay. And, and that's what makes I Voter Guide, that's what makes us different than other voter guides, is we're not just mm -hmm. once again presenting information. Um, we're actually telling you where we think the candidate's going to stand on the issues. Right. Uh, so that that gas gauge, that uh, evaluation is done, and this makes it very unique as well, we actually have thousands of volunteer evaluators. Okay. So these are people like you and me, people like our listening audience, who email iVoterGuide and they say, hey, I want to be an evaluator. So we vet them, we check their worldview to make sure they align up with our mission, vision, and values at iVoterGuide, mm -hmm. and then we sign them up and train them to evaluate candidates. So we've got people, citizens and voters on the ground in these states and districts that are evaluating people in their community. So this is a very localized evaluation. That's a very good tool. iVoterGuide.com. Check it out before this coming Tuesday and vote as an informed citizen. We hope that you will do that. Walker, thanks so much for stopping by today. Thank you, Jeff.
The International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church is being observed this weekend and throughout the month of November. And believers are focusing their petitions to the Lord on behalf of those whose faith in Jesus comes with great cost. Today we want to hear what some of our brothers and sisters are facing and find out specific ways that we can pray for them. Todd Nettleton is with Voice of the Martyrs, a missionary organization that serves persecuted Christians. He's also the host of the Voice of the Martyrs radio program, heard here Sundays at 10 a.m. Todd, welcome to the program today. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. As you look at persecution around the globe today, are there any places that are especially concerning to you? You know, I think every place that our brothers and sisters are suffering for the name of Christ is concerning. Um, there are some that, that I think are sort of under the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those uh, is the nation of Eritrea. I had the privilege um, many years ago now of visiting Eritrea, meeting Christians there. Uh, this is a country in the northeast part of Africa, uh, north of Ethiopia, a country where somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 of our brothers and sisters are currently in prison. Mm. Some of them have been in prison more than 19 years and all 300 of them have never had a trial. They never had a chance to defend themselves. In fact, none of them have even been formally charged with a crime. Uh, They just got arrested. They disappeared into the Eritrean prison system. And now here we are in some cases, 19 years later, they're still there. Um, And like I say, it's it's just kind of under the radar because we don't talk about Eritrea. We don't hear a lot about Eritrea. So that is certainly one that is on my heart. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think of Iran, I think of the increasing persecution in China over the last several years. Uh, I always think of North Korea, probably the most closed country on earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think of the rise of radical Islam in Africa, places like Nigeria and Somalia and Mozambique. Um, There's lots to pray for this weekend. Uh, Are you hearing anything from churches out of the Middle East? And obviously, with all that is going on in Gaza and Israel and the West Bank, we're very, very concerned with our brothers and sisters there. Is any news coming out of the Middle East? You know, I just read a report this morning from a pastor from Gaza, in fact, the the pastor of the Gaza Baptist Church, mm-hmm. uh, talking about how their congregation uh, is holding up under what is happening. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs has contacts with Christians in Gaza. We also have contacts with Messianic Christians in Israel. So uh, we, we are hearing from both sides in this current conflict. And uh, right now, a, a lot of what they are asking us to do is to pray. Okay. Um, with all that is going on, prayer is just such an important point. Uh, the other thing that one of the one of the ways they're asking us to pray is for opportunities to witness mm-hmm. uh, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the upheaval. How can they represent Christ to their neighbors? How can they represent Christ to the people around them? That's one of the the ways that we can pray, especially during this time. Uh, our listeners may be wondering, obviously, we, we can't go to where our brothers and sisters are serving, and, and you are distributing Bibles, which is certainly very important. What are some other ways that Voice of the Martyrs uses to come alongside persecuted believers? Well, our work in more than 70 countries where Christians are persecuted falls under three main kind of umbrellas, and Bibles is one of those. We already talked about that. The second one is persecution response. Hey, uh, if your house is burned down because you're a Christian, 
you need a place to stay tonight. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure that you have food on your table tonight. And so that is persecution response, helping to provide directly for those who've been impacted or injured or affected by persecution. So that's the second major umbrella. Then the third one is what we call frontline ministry. And and I sort of half-jokingly call this pre-persecuted Christians. These are gospel workers, evangelists, and church planters who are working in a hostile or restricted nation, a place where Christians are often persecuted. Maybe they haven't been persecuted yet, but they likely will be at some point. We are providing them with tools and training and encouragement to further their ministry and to help them have maximum effectiveness in that context and in that culture. Let me give you an example, a very good example of what that might look like in some countries is, hey, uh, this pastor, let's call him Pastor Mark, he Mm -hmm. can walk to two villages, uh, but if he gets a motorcycle, he can reach 10 villages. And so that motorcycle, which is a, a pretty nominal expense for us as American Christians, that can increase his ministry fivefold uh, simply by buying a motorcycle and and getting that pastor out to more villages. That's an example of frontline ministry. One of the other examples that, that I love is, is bringing frontline gospel workers in hostile and restricted nations together for training and encouragement. Uh, and oftentimes we will hear a pastor when he comes to one of these conferences or one of these gatherings, we'll hear these words, I thought I was the only one. Mm. And yet gathered with other believers and hearing, oh, yeah, I got beaten up last year, too. Oh, yeah, man, I I had that. I had to run for my life, too. It's suddenly I'm not the only one. I, I have brothers and sisters who are going through exactly what I'm going through. And we can encourage each other. We can pray for each other. And a, a lot of times, it's it, the voice of the martyrs just sort of brings them together and then gets out of the way, yeah, and yeah. lets that fellowship grow, and mm. lets them encourage and bless each other. And that's another part of what we call frontline ministry. Uh, very good. Our guest today is Todd Nettleton with Voice of the Martyrs, and we want to point you to our website. It's persecution.com. That's the website for the Voice of the Martyrs. And you can go to persecution.com slash ID. D-O-P, to find out more about the International Day of Prayer and how you and your church can become part of that throughout the month of November. Todd, thanks so much for all that you are doing with Voice of the Martyrs, and God bless you and uh, give you wisdom and discernment as you press ahead. Well, it is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Next up, are children being taught to become political activists? That's just one question that's being asked in a new documentary, Truth and Lies in American Education. It's been produced by the United States Parents Involved in Education group, and its founder and president is here to talk about that with us. Sherry Few, welcome to The Stand Radio. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. We want to talk about the documentary, but I want to ask you uh, first, what are some of the most egregious examples that you see of parental rights being usurped in public schools across the country? Well, parents have not been engaged uh, and allowed the opportunity to provide input into their children's curriculum. And we've seen all over the country the last couple years as parents have sort of woken up from, I believe, uh, witnessing what their children are learning when the classrooms were shut down during COVID. So parents have been speaking out at school boards. They're, they're opposed to the pornography, uh, the sexualization of children. They're opposed to the uh, Marxist critical theories that are being taught. Uh, the anti-American 
propaganda and the anti-Christian propaganda. So parents have been speaking out about these things, and in, in response, what they've received are things like uh, being labeled domestic terrorists by the federal government. Uh, we've got all over the country that are um, stamping on parental rights. We've got, you know, an attorney general in California that's suing a local school district for a policy they adopted to be sure that parents would know if their children um, had gender preferences. So local school boards are making decisions, and then we've got high-ranking elected officials around the country that are um, overstepping their bounds and ruling on these matters when it is absolutely the right of parents and their duly elected local school boards to make these decisions. I suppose there's a common thought that these things are going on in larger cities like Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Seattle, and places like that. Do you see these trends in um, a lot of the states around the country? Absolutely. It is in every every state in the country. And I'm in South Carolina, uh, thought to be one of the more conservative states in the country. And we have researched um, at least a dozen school districts in our state. And every single one of them have the critical Marxist theories. And I have information that I receive from parents on a regular basis about pornography in the schools and so many of these things that I've just mentioned. Let's talk about the film Truth and Lies in American Education. You produced this documentary. What's the focus of the film? Well, the focus of the film is to expose what's happening in government schools, uh, the things that children are being taught that are um, very contrary to most parents' uh, viewpoints, their worldview. So I think that parents for a long time, um, you know, trusted government schools and they expected that they were teaching children that things that weren't um, biased. Mm-hmm. And so the film goes into, in depth into um, the critical Marxist theories, the sexualization of children, and we have experts that we interview that have written books and uh, everything is well-documented and researched, and it proves these litany of uh, egregious uh, pedagogies that are being pushed on children in government schools. So the idea is to get people to understand this is happening under your watch with your tax dollars, and if we don't stop it, we're going to end up with losing our very freedom in this country because we believe that's the end goal. That's why, you know, children are coming out of um, K-12 and colleges and universities. I mean, we see examples of it in the streets today with with the college students proclaiming um, Hamas and, right. and applauding what's happened there. It's absurd to think that young people, and these are very young people that have been uh, indoctrinated in K-12 and then fully, um, you know, the faucets turned wide open in colleges and universities, and their professors are turning them into social justice warriors. And it has to stop, or we are going to lose our freedom in this country. And the name of the film, once again, is Truth and Lies in American Education. Um, Sherry, where can people take a look at this film? So the film can be found at the film's website, which is truthandliesfilm.us, and that's spelled out truthandliesfilm.us. So they can go there and they can rent it, they can stream it, they can purchase the DVD, and we're giving permission to anyone who purchases the DVD to uh, show it to a large audience. 
We're, we're not in this to make money. We want to get the information into as many hands as possible. So there's no license fee required for them to show it to a large audience. We pray that they will, that they'll get together with their church community or some other uh, community organization, even just a neighborhood gathering, so that people can get together, view the film, and then after they've viewed it, talk about how they can get involved and make a difference. That's great. The website is USPIE.org. That's your website for the United States Parents Involved in Education, USPIE.org, USPIE.org. And once again, the name of the film is Truth and Lies in American Education. You can visit that website, truthandandliesfilm.us. Good work that you're doing. Uh, Sherry, thank you so much for stopping by and telling us more about it. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to get the word out. What seems to be a series of random events in life are often the result of God's sovereign hand of guidance. It's only in hindsight that we can truly appreciate how God was directing our steps. That's the way Dr. Saul Camacho sees his life. He and his wife, Maria, are the directors of the Matamoros Children's Home, serving 120 orphans, abused, and neglected children in Mexico. There's a strange similarity between their lives and the children they serve. I have a family, but uh, for some reason I was uh, with my great-grandmother. Living with my great-grandmother the last three years of her life, she fell and broke her hip, and she was unable to uh, walk unable to take uh, or to have medical care. And uh, seeing all that and experiencing all that, I thought uh, something's wrong. Why she cannot go to a doctor and get help? And that's when I decided I'm going to be a physician so that I can help people that cannot afford to go to a medical doctor. After she passed away, um, that desire to increase, but uh, nobody wanted to help me until I heard about the children's home in Matamoros, and uh, here I went. Little did he know that his future wife, Maria, was among the children he first saw. I met her, and uh, we became very good friends, and uh, I never thought uh, anything else about, uh, oh, one day I'm going to date her or we're going to get married or anything. Uh, I just, uh, she was my friend and still my best friend. Years later, after going to medical school and establishing a successful practice, Dr. Camacho's heart was drawn to the children's home in Matamoros that made it all possible. I knew that God was impressing in my heart to do something for the children's home. And all I could think was, well, help, support financially, and even with the uh, taking care of the medical needs, which I was doing. But uh, God was telling me something more, and I can really, really understand. Finally, uh, the chairman of the board for the Children's Home came to my office, and he told me that they were having some uh, problems there at the home, and that they were looking for someone to help him because he, uh, he asked me if I could go and help him run the place. And I said, no. The day before he came, 
I was offered the position to become the director of the largest hospital there in town. So I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what uh, prestige, success, and everything besides money I'm going to get being becoming the director of this hospital. And then the next day, this gentleman comes and he offers me to go and help them with this little ministry. And I thought, no, no. But after his visit, for some reason, I was not as excited as I was before. A week goes by and he comes back again. And he tells me the same story, the same thing. We've been thinking about you. We need your help. And I said, no, I said, no. He's uh, going back uh, out of the office, and he turns around, and he tells me, why don't you pray about it? And I got upset, really upset when he told me that, because I felt something. Uh, and I told him, I said, why in the world I'm going to pray for something I don't want to do? No, I'm not going to pray. Determined to leave for the training in Mexico City, Saul had a strange desire to postpone the training until the following January so that he could spend Christmas with his newborn daughter. Not long after that, he received some chilling news. Mexico City in chaos is what we saw when these first pictures from Mexican television finally began to arrive at midday. Communication from much of the country is completely cut off. I'm at the hospital hearing the news, looking the monitors, and hearing the thousands of people that uh, died in that uh, earthquake. And I'm thinking, why I was not there? I went uh, back home that day, and I knew that God was calling us to the children's home. Go back to my wife, and I said, hey, I think God is calling us to the children's home. And she said, yes, I think so. In October of that year, we were taking care of the children's home, and we've been never since. But we decided we're going to make it uh, more focused in presenting the gospel more intentionally because we want every child that comes here to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and that they can take the word to whatever places in the country the Lord will take him. Then the Lord talked to us and said, okay, well, you're doing here, but what about uh, the rest of the country? And uh, my wife and I decided, well, we need to go and find places of opportunities that we can take the gospel. And so with that in mind, with that passion, we decided this is what we want to do. We have over 50 kids who have grown up there that are in ministry full-time. And we have planted more than 60 churches in the country of Mexico through the Children's Home. You can read the story of the Matamoros Children's Home by Joy Lucius in this month's The Stand magazine. Next week on The Stand Radio, we'll visit with Brian Mullins, Executive Director of the National Bible Bee, and hear about the ways they promote Bible memorization. We'll also hear about a documentary that explores the eyewitness accounts of 21 veterans of World War II. Pastor Joseph Parker will be with us as well to talk about the challenges and victories in the fight for human life. 
If you like what you've heard today, it's just a sample of what you'll get every month when you subscribe to The Stand magazine. We encourage you to get your free six-month subscription. Just visit afa.net slash the stand. And if you have any questions or comments about what you've heard today, email us at thestand at afa.net. You can get a podcast of this program by going to afr.net slash podcasts. Until next time, I'm Jeff Shambly. Thanks for listening.